Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Adam. It's a little different this year as we talk about CES 2021. Last year, Richard and I had the pleasure of recording together live from the show floor. Not so much this year. On this episode, we talk about what virtual CES was like, as well as some of the trends that we saw coming out of the news this week. We hope you enjoy our discussion. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey Adam. Hey Richard, how are you? I am well and surprisingly not as exhausted as I might normally be on this day. CES has come and gone as it was and we're going to spend some time today discussing our impressions of this virtual event, the largest virtual conference to date in the world as far as I'm aware. And some of the trends that we observed. Okay. Uh, yeah, excited to talk about all things CES. So, um, But, of course, we always start the show with a question. So, uh, the question for today, for Richard, uh, last time we were together in person in Las Vegas, happy anniversary to our one-year anniversary of the last time we saw each other. <laughs> Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on Vegas? Are you a Vegas guy? Yeah, I I love Las Vegas, and it's one of the reasons why I enjoy CES so much. It, I usually have other conferences that occur in Vegas as well, and I really miss being there. I enjoyed the spectacle of it all. I get more exercise there than I normally would, even not just from CES, just because Everything's so far away from everything else. You do a lot of walking there. So it's it's generally good for your health from that perspective. It's not so good for your health in terms of getting sleep and eating well and stuff like that. Because another thing that I love there are the restaurants. There's so many really good restaurants there and the different casinos. And uh, and I do enjoy the occasional casino as well. I, I can't stand the smoke, but... For the most part, the uh, the casino environment is fun for me. So, I, you know, I don't go gambling just at the local reservation casino or anything like that. So having uh, having a little bit of time in a casino while I'm there is kind of my guilty pleasure when I'm at Vegas. How about you? I will say I'm, I was definitely very much in the same place as you on Vegas. Um, and then I went, I got like Vegas overload, oh, overload. I got Vegas overload from too many conferences, too many work-related things for being there. Mm. And I was super Vegas out. Um, so for a long time, <laughs> my wife and I used to, like I would do a conference. There was a, a conference I did every year for a number of years. And then she would come in for a weekend, either before or after the conference. Mm -hmm. And eventually I got to the point where 
I did not want to spend an extra hour in Vegas than <laughs> what I had to spend. And she, so meanwhile, she's like, when can we go back to Vegas? So I would say I'm coming back around now that I'm doing Vegas a lot less for work. Yeah. Um, so I am pro Vegas, but not always for work. And I think sometimes when you're there for work and everybody else is there and partying, um, it's not fun. And there was the best example I can think of. There was a time I, I was in to speak at a conference. It was during March Madness. and. <laughs> I was just so over all of it. Mm -hmm. And like, there was like my hotel. I also like to hop around and stay at different hotels. That particular hotel, like they put me right below a club or something. Oh, so I'm wow. like trying to get sleep and the hair's <laughs> above me um, partying. And like, you know, I wasn't drinking. Everybody else was totally like, so that that Vegas I could do without. But in yeah. general, I, yeah. I'm with you. I enjoy the spectacle. I enjoy getting around. Um, I always tell people just because you can see it doesn't mean you can walk there or it is <laughs> at all close. Right, right, right. Um, but it is a fun town to be in. I do enjoy it. And I look forward to going back um, at some point. And um, but part of me also wonders, like, I don't know, man, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the crowds of Vegas in a post-pandemic world. Yeah. I'm going to wear a really good mask. Yeah. I mean, the, the crowds of any conference, really, right? I, yeah. I mean, how how would that... Yeah, I totally understand. Right, let's That's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that near the end of the show, too. Because, I, I mean, I, I want to start off talking just about what this CES was like. What was virtual CES like for us. And just to kind of lay out the foundation here, we have a virtual venue hosted by Microsoft. That, that's who they used as their technology partner for this. Let me just say the CTA, the Consumer Technology Association, which hosts CES each year, does not have a good track record with implementing digital solutions to a company their events. Their app is usually awful. Their scheduler is usually pretty bad as well. And I was initially excited by the fact that they were using a big name like Microsoft to host the venue until I started using it. And it, it seemed like little more than a scaled, glorified version of SharePoint. Like they just, they had this, this online environment that pointed you to all these different things, either videos, live or otherwise, and documents and online information and other third party sites. And it, it was, I found it hard to navigate. I found it really poorly designed from a usability perspective. When I first went to it, it didn't even have like a general search. You had to go to the exhibitors page to, f to be able to search on any of the exhibitors there. Why you'd have to do that, I don't know. Eventually, they changed that and put one on the homepage. And even then, the search field, you had to scroll down below the fold to get to the search field, to even find out that there was a search field. It just seemed like they did such a poor job of making it easy to use and easy 
to get around. And then with the exhibitors themselves, prior to the event, there was no company information whatsoever. The exhibitors to, that you were basically signing up to or adding to your schedule was nothing more than a scrolling page of huge tiles with logos on them. No information about the company whatsoever. How would you know if you want to talk to this company if you don't know what they do or what they are? It was ridiculous. I'm generally, I'm very, very frustrated with the experience that they created in terms of the the overall use and navigability, if you will. What was your experience with it? What did you think about it? Uh, I haven't even told you this, so because I wanted to get your reaction live on the show, but I didn't even go. Huh? I didn't even bother. <laughs> That's just priceless. <laughs> and it sounds like it was probably a good idea. I am so glad you waited to tell me that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you sign I up? didn't really. I didn't see any reason to. Um, and what what happened was, uh, I think the CTA, like I could have signed up for free. Yeah. Maybe sometime in December yeah. and I missed the boat. Okay. And so I'd, at, I wasn't going to pay for it. So I was like, meh, I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to kind of do some stuff remote. I, I wanted to do some kind of like side events. I didn't even end up doing any of those. I just kind of blew the whole thing off and just kind of caught up, you know, on the sides and things like that. And I don't really feel like I missed anything either. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for that reveal. That was just that was just <laughs> amazing. I, I did not see that coming. So uh, the one other thing that I, I do want to mention, and I think this is one of the things that just frustrated me right off the bat. I even tweeted about this, that because they use the Microsoft platform, you had to create an ID on the Microsoft platform that was different from, separate from, the actual registration. So you registered, and then you went and you created another account on the Microsoft platform. And the way that Microsoft SharePoint and other Microsoft platforms work is that they're domain-based. So to create your ID, you actually created an email address on this fake domain that they created for the event. And then that's what you had to use to log in every time. You logged in with an email address that you would never use and that you don't have any real identity or association with, and you're supposed to remember that. And obviously, lots of people were not getting that because the CTA was sending out messages daily up in big bold red letters literally in the email messages saying that you must use your CES email address that you created when you registered to log in it's the address that ends in blah 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 like just right from the start it's an experience mess it seems so backwards to me that they would use this microsoft thing because early on in 2020 we had various trade shows that we were either supposed to do or kind of looking at. And I saw some of the like trade show venues. So what, uh, what they use for IOT world, um, what, um, 
the the folks at um some other companies used and there are good like pretty decent platforms to do these things maybe they don't operate at a scale right that would work for that's my bet is that they wouldn't scale but there are things that are much better intentionally built for this kind of stuff so you know i don't know hopefully this is a one-year problem and it will it will go away but as a company i kind of took the stance that once i sort of saw what how this stuff was looking i just said we're not doing anything virtual there's no value for it people aren't necessarily going to it as much i just didn't see the use in it and spending marketing dollars towards it um thankfully we didn't even re-sign up for ces last year because i was kind of on the fence for doing it that ended up being a really great decision because then i didn't have any money locked down into doing this thing so um you know i i just kind of took the stance of we're gonna sit out until we can do in-person events again and even then i'm probably gonna ease back in uh until i know that there's gonna be attendance because i would guess the attendance was pretty light as it was too yeah i don't know i don't i have not really paid attention to the uh, post event announcement in terms of what their attendance was like or if they've even announced it they might not want to call attention to it i don't know because i doubt that we were the only people that you know kind of had this uh i I don't know i i would say my 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 feeling was just kind of like eh and part of that was that I am in the same situation that you were in last week, which is that my week was nuts with client work. So I didn't really have a whole lot of free time. And to me, like, you know, I want to talk about the benefits and the challenges of this sort of virtual event. Let's, let's start with the challenges. To me, it was just too easy since I wasn't there to get tied into other stuff to get pulled away. And in in my case, it wasn't even a matter of getting pulled away. It was a matter of having time to even poke my head in and and uh, poke around in the environment. And there wasn't a whole lot that was pulling me. Like there wasn't something that I'm like, oh, I absolutely positively have to do that. I, I did get to see the Samsung presentation live, which is nice because otherwise I would have had to stand in a big long line to get to that. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's a benefit there. But generally, I, I found that it was, but uh, that by not being there, it was too easy to not be there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's sort of what I feel like when you actually go to a conference, your attention is usually fully on being there, getting the most out of it, right. and you know, you're not distracted by other things and and you actually set aside the time in your schedule to be fully there. I, right. That's my experience. Usually. Yeah. No, exactly. And the, these virtual things you're kind of half in and I feel like everybody does that and you're you're dealing with other things because you're not fully committing your attention to those things. Yeah. Not to mention anything else that might be going on if you're in a situation where you're working from home. So, you know, in addition to the work from home, you have the kids at home and you have the rest of the family at home and everything else that you're dealing with right now. So yeah, I, I found that kind of really challenging. Now, the other thing that I just 
really don't like about this virtual format, particularly the way that they implement it, is that, you know, one of the great things about being at a conference is running into people, whether it's people that you know, or just starting a conversation with someone at a booth and and clicking with them and and ending up, you know, that that that's someone that you stay in touch with because you met at the conference. I have conference friends, people that I only know because I met them at a conference. I'm pretty sure that's how you're in my relationship started. Yeah, sort of. Actually, yeah. you're in my relationship started by me complaining on Twitter, but that's another story. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I mean, I, I, I mean, it's it's part of the thing that's great about these events. And if you are a professionally outgoing person like I am, uh, you know, I I really miss that part of the experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's totally missing and definitely something I think we're all craving um, when we can get that at that again. So I actually kind of wonder if, uh, you know, if we can put all this behind us, like is CES 2022 going to be like the most attended in 10 <laughs> years or whatever? Because everybody's going to be like, yes, please. Um, yeah. yeah, who knows? I don't know. We'll and, see. And, and then the other thing that I found challenging this year was that because of the fact that this was virtual. Everybody tried to schedule their stuff during the day, even ancillary events that usually occur around CES. So for for me, as an example, Media Day, the day before the event started, was actually just completely nuts because you had all of the stuff going on with Media Day, which is press conferences all day long, and the news that comes out of that. You had Pepcom, which is really, I think, oftentimes better than CES. Pepcom is the event that Josh and I care about at CES. And I did get to spend a little bit of time poking through the different Pepcom vendors. They use a different venue. It's a it's it looks like it's 17 years old, but it works. And it, it allows you to pretty quickly and easily jump around between vendors. So I did poke around at that a little bit. And then Food Tech Live, Mike's event, also ended up happening on Monday, on that day. So all this stuff happening at exactly the same time was just unmanageable. Yeah. So Yeah, understanding. Yeah. It, it just so many challenges and so many, so many problems, really. Now, there are good things. I mentioned you don't have to stand in lines, so that's good. You don't have to stand in lines. There are still lines if you want to talk to people. You still have to kind of be on hold until somebody becomes available to talk to you if if you want to talk to somebody there. Uh, but even that was challenging with the platform that they had. I captured but haven't yet posted an example from someone from Philips. And I was trying to see, okay, well, what what is Philips doing there? Because we're going to talk later. There was some news from Signify, and I was wondering if it was Philips Hue. Well, no, it wasn't. It was the Philips Health people. But then I looked at who was going to be there, and you know they have these tiles set up with people like you might see in LinkedIn or something with their picture and their title and their name, and you can schedule a meeting with them. And some of the people had no picture. So how do you know if this is the person that you knew that you spoke with before? Like. The picture is really important to recognize someone. If you're like, oh, yeah, I remember talking with that person last time. I want to try and talk with them again. 
and no title. Some people didn't even put their title in there. It was just their name with the anonymous person icon. Why would anyone schedule a meeting with that person? <laughs> right. I don't understand. So that was weird. But we, like I said, you didn't have to stand in line. That was really nice. Um, the keynotes, man, I, I wish all keynote events were the way they do these. Like, if nothing else, let's do keynote type stuff in this format. They've all followed the path of Apple and created these buttoned up, highly produced, highly polished presentations where in half an hour's time, you can slam through so much information on a virtual stage or a real sound stage where they're filming this stuff. They were great. I loved what they were doing. So interesting that, yeah, that's something that I think is really good. Also, you know, I say it's easy to get pulled away, but the nice thing is that you can kind of do it on your own time, right? You you can go in when they have hours, meaning that you can talk with exhibitors, but at the same time, you could just go 24 hours anytime you want to, when you have time, go in and look at the press releases, get access to the press, press information and press kits directly. And there's no, you know, there's no limits on that. In fact, they've extended access to the information by an additional month. So if you signed up, then you can still go in through February to, or until February to get information off of it. If, if that's something that you do. So that's nice. You know, that that's kind of a, an added benefit of having this sort of platform. So my question to you is, let's say 2022, we're, we're back in Vegas. Uh, you know, you're, you're given a virtual job. You're in charge of the CTA of running this event. Um, how would you do it differently? Um, what would you keep from this year? And what would you throw out from the old way of doing CES? Oh, wow. Well, I think I just answered one of those questions. I, I love this way of doing keynotes. The, the whole idea of standing in line to go sit in a theater to get pitched at for an hour is just ludicrous. And in fact, after the keynotes this year, Josh and I talked about this. Josh Pollard, my host of my co-host of Entertainment 2.0. We said that in future years, we will probably just stay in the hotel room on media day and watch everything over closed circuit TV, the way that they make it available through the different hotels or on the internet. That was just a, a much more pleasant experience. It takes the gruel out of that media day. And if they did anything, I think it would be, I think it would be very useful to encourage people to attend those types of events virtually and for the presenters to create them in advance like they did because you just it's a it's a better situation for everybody and frankly even if we do have CES and we're walking around with a bunch of people with masks on i feel far more comfortable on a crowded floor of people walking around with masks than i do sitting next to somebody in a crowded theater for an hour yeah. Oh, totally. So that's that's one big thing I would change. I I would scrap the platform that they used, and and like you said, and I think this is probably if I were to ask you the question, uh, the answer that you would give, which is <laughs> use a use a platform that's meant for this, right? That 
facilitates with this, facilitates this sort of stuff. Start working with a company now. And maybe the answer is find the venue platform that you like and then pair them up with Microsoft so that what they use can scale dynamically as it needs to through the Azure platform. Yeah, I think my my two things would be, um, I think it makes sense to have conferences in general be more virtual friendly, um, because there's always reasons people can't go in person. And so maybe there's an angle of this that, yes, while there may be an in-person thing, there should be a virtual component. Uh, like you said, that's hopefully much better. The other thing I would want to see more of, uh, I think Parks does a really good job at this of their conferences, but focusing on kind of networking and social things. There are a lot of social and networking things that happen during CES, but I would love to see more either official ones or more ways to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we both said that's what we're missing. I think, you know, less time in the monotony, like you said, of, uh, of the, you know, running around on buses and trying to get from A to B and more time on the stuff that matters, which is talking to other people in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I think keeping the expo floor concept live, I I believe is critical. I think having the, the place where you have product available to see whether folks are going to feel comfortable actually touching product next year is another thing, but seeing product live, I think is really important and getting that opportunity to talk with product managers or uh, other folks in a company that have been part of making that product is a really key piece there, at least for people like me that are looking at it from the perspective of what's interesting here for a consumer. As a company, if if you were to just attend as opposed to maybe pres- uh, have a booth there, I would imagine that you'd also want access to all those different people who might be in a booth that has you know products that you think might work well on your platform or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point that the piece that you really can't do virtually is kind of the touch and feel, the playing with new stuff, seeing a demo of something new, and actually getting a sense for how uh, how well it works, how far along it is. You know, I think one thing I wanted to touch on that I feel like people don't talk about about CES is there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of, we'll call it Wizard of Oz type things going on. <laughs> Don't look behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I feel like it's very driven by this desire to show the next new thing, the next hot thing. But what it leads to is basically a lot of people putting things out that may never exist. Right. They're overpromising on things that are never going to deliver. And I'd love to see... That's more of an industry thing. I'd love to see the industry get away from that more um, because it's not good for anybody. It's not good for consumers. It's not good for the industry. It It's just, you know, a bunch of people. I won't always, I won't say flat out lying, but I think sometimes it's like over optimistic thinking and this yep. pressure that comes from wanting to show something. So, you know, you're going to have a booth at CES. We, we did this before too. We announced products that we never shipped because we felt like we had to show up and show something 
And, you know, those things were not fully baked. And it, it's, it's definitely part of the hype. Um, but I, I think it, it needs to go away. But one of the things you kind of do as you visit those booths is you can tell that based on what they're showing, what's being demoed, how it's being demoed. Like a, a good observer knows, yeah, we're not going to see that anytime soon. Right. That's just a demo. Right. Or like, this is something that's going to ship soon because they're actually showing the real product and, you know, working things. You know, you, you can get a sense of that attending a booth, whereas virtually they're the ability to fake and, and the, the curtain is even thicker because, you know, you can demo things, you know, way differently. Oh, that's a very good point that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. And I'm sure that there was plenty of that this year, that there was plenty of demonstrations of things that won't come to be. But I wonder, I wonder if like you, companies that would otherwise feel like they should be there this year just didn't stress about it so much because it was virtual. You know, they're like, well, I, we don't feel like we're on as big a hook. And I think that's probably an, a decent enough transition into what we're going to talk about next. So uh, why don't you kind of set us off on a break and then we can get to that. Yeah, so let's take a brief break, and uh, when we return, we're going to talk about some of the trends and takeaways from this year's CES. So, CES this year, um, I mean, I did follow along in the press, so I did keep up of, uh, you know, various things going on. There were a couple interesting trends, so um, we'll touch on some of these, but overall, kind of the big one was no major revolutionary, crazy announcement. Nothing that blew anybody's, I don't know, socks off. And, <laughs> and maybe that has something to do with, you know, with it being virtual, nobody felt like really investing or revealing. You know, if you have something that isn't shipping soon, maybe you want to save the big reveal for next year. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that's exactly the case. And maybe that's good. Maybe we're not getting sold a bill of goods that will never ship. And instead, what I saw companies doing is just putting out reasonable evolutionary type products like, oh, and here's an an addition to our product line, or here's a new feature in this year's version of a product that the last year's version didn't have. Um, my, My favorite thing that I take away from CES is a product that may never become a product. It's a future concept by Samsung that they clearly stated as a future product that's intended to be an a, a home assistant robot. And they demonstrated this incredible AI-driven robot that could do standard chores around your house like empty trash cans or put dishes in the dishwasher or uh you know pour a glass of wine i mean it was unbelievable the stuff that they had this thing doing now you know we talk about smoke and mirrors i don't doubt for a minute that every motion that thing made was pre-programmed for this demonstration that it wasn't working autonomously but that's that's a future vision that they're working toward, and that was that just 
blew me away. That was really cool. That's a future I'm, I'm signing up for. I'm ready for that. <laughs> you know, as a father of three kids and a busy household where both parents work, we are ready for the, for the robot helper. Yeah. We'll take one. Yeah, absolutely. Where do I sign up? Absolutely. It was incredibly cool. Who knows when something like that is going to happen and what form it's going to take and what it would cost and how it would be available. I mean, there's just so many unknowns there. And I, I would bet we're a good five years away from that at least, but really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other thing we saw a lot of, um, whether this is pandemic reaction or not, but touchless technology. So oh, yeah. totally pandemic I related. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. So, yeah. I mean, uh, the one in the smart home category that I noticed the most of was, uh, was doorbells. So both alarm.com and Arlo, uh, announced some touchless features in doorbells. I, I don't know how I feel about this because I know how often I get alerts from my doorbell and, uh, it just feels like um, feels like it's something that's going to get you know triggered all the time, and like you don't necessarily want people to ring your doorbell when they don't have to. Um, so, especially yeah. if you're like working from home and you're on a you know conference call, things like that. Like you know, I, I don't know. I guess we have to wait and see how it how it works and how intentional it has to be. So, Alarm.com solution uses a mat, and when you step on the doormat it rings the doorbell. The solution from Arlo is basically just, you know, I, I'm, they're probably saying they're using AI, but it's person detection. And I believe you, I, I think when you get a certain distance from it and it sees a person, then it rings a, a bell and turns the light on, on the device itself so that you have some indication that the doorbell has just already rung for you. Just even that change in interaction, I think, is going to be hard for people. Right? Yeah. So what a joke. I, <laughs> I, I think. I think the thing about that is like people are not easily trained to do something different. Right. Um. The, right. the example I can think of is I've seen people that either buy these fancy package boxes or built one themselves, <laughs> right. and then they become something that people set packages on top of or next to or whatever it's like even this that's like a pretty purpose driven and you can add some signage like pretty simple thing people are just like eh, whatever yeah. like so to train somebody on a new action on how to ring the doorbell good luck yeah no i i agree i, I think this is going to be a, a rough one to get through people's minds i have a little mat a 12 inch circular mat that sits on my front door stoop says please set packages here 90 percent of the time my packages are left within six feet of where that mat sits (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah Uh, there were other touchless things that i think are a little bit more interesting color announced some bathroom improvements i guess i would say where they have touchless toilet handles and touchless bathroom sink controls i've been waiting for one of these major manufacturers to announce decent touchless bathroom technology so it'll be interesting if that takes off i could see a use for a kitchen uh, sorry for a a bathroom sink uh touchless control i think that's 
really kind of interesting. I think that would be useful when shaving. I think it'd be uh, a pretty useful feature if it's implemented well. And it seems like this is one where it's not trying to detect anything. It it has a sensor that you need to purposefully wave your hand, which I think is yeah. a smart way. And then we also saw the LG fridge that can open with voice commands, which is another interesting use of technology. This I don't think is so much COVID driven. This is food hands driven, right? Like I don't want, I can't tell you, we had a house guest stay with us for almost a year. And the thing that made me crazier than anything else was dried food crust on the door handle of the refrigerator or on the face of the microwave. Because turns out not everybody is as OCD as I am about stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I get that. And I think that, so I think in general, the the thing I'll say is, you know, some of our qualms with some of these things are because they're technology looking for a problem. This is actually a a, a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. That's when good features and technology enhancements are are great is when they can solve a problem that exists in the world rather than just adding technology for technology. So this is a real problem. Like I, you know, often make a lot of chicken dishes or whatever, and I need an item out of the fridge, mm-hmm. you know, you not having to go and wash your hands before you touch the fridge is pretty handy. See what you did there. That's nice. All right. So <laughs> I think if we were to look at this, this is kind of what these are examples of a, a lot of things where I, I saw that the technology companies were introducing in many cases were about making the most of your time at home, making your time at home easier more convenient, or more enjoyable. And I don't think that I've seen a theme so strongly pervasive throughout CES in years past. Usually it's kind of scattershot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this makes a ton of sense. I mean, for us this last year, spending more time at home, we're absolutely investing more in what we do at home. We bought new couches. Like I'm a lot more willing to buy things um, because I see the value in it. And I think this is a good trend. And, you know, I think this is a good thing for the industry to focus on is like, how, how do you bring value to these things? And, and why kind of answering the why? And I think, um, if one thing 2020 gave us is, is the answer to why, why should I invest more in things in my home? And what's the advantage? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And the, the other, the other part about being home is that people are apparently, I, I guess I, I'm just like a slouch or something because I'm not doing this, but apparently people are more healthy now and they're trying to work out more and stay in fit. So there was a ton of health and fitness stuff. Yeah. I think this one makes sense to me. Um, I've got, I've been in both camps like early on in the pandemic, I was not very healthy. And then, uh, uh, somebody said to me or whatever, you kind of have two two choices in, in the pandemic. You can either get very unhealthy or you can get prison fit. And so I, I decided to use the kind of routine and less uh, outside influences to just really try to focus on my health and, and get, get, you know, more in shape. So it's still a work in progress, but it's definitely something where I, I'm focused on it. So I'm apparently just being a slouch. 
there's still time. Like, you know, we're not going to come out of this tomorrow. So you, you can change that. So in the, in the category of robotics, you, you mentioned the, the Samsung concept, but there were a lot of other kind of cool robotic things going on. What else did you see that you thought was interesting? So definitely more use of robotics in toys, again, with that entertainment idea. Uh, and the robotic vacuums are always a favorite. Once again, Samsung premiered a really cool looking vacuum that they expect to have out in the first half of the year that uses LiDAR and cameras. And they didn't say it explicitly, but with other examples, they gave you the impression that this probably wouldn't make the poop mistake, right? <laughs> that, if it, that it would be able to detect something and avoid it if it's something that it shouldn't run over. I need that first robot you talked about to pick up all the kids' toys first, <laughs> and then and then the robot vacuum can follow. So if they can just be really good friends and work together, um, then that will work. I, I think right now our our robot vacuum is much like uh, when the when the cleaning ladies come. There's a lot of work to be done before it can run. Yeah, yeah, true. That's just the phase of love. <laughs> or you could make the cleaning people pick up. I know we do that with our dogs. They can pick them up. (laughs) Yeah. So there was also a lot of news that wasn't necessarily official CES news, but um, more like companies that maybe decided kind of like us not to participate, but said, hey, you know, people are still in tune. So let's talk about things. Um, The one that was most interested in in our space, I thought, was um, the announcements from Philips Hue. Um, they announced a couple different products, uh, a new dimmer, an outdoor light bar, uh, which is very expensive. But the one that really caught my eye was this in-wall module. So wh- what seemed interesting about this to me is this is, a, this is something that goes in your wall that works with the Hue platform, but still works with your existing light switch. Um, the, the light switch they demoed or, you know, in the pictures and stuff looked to be a very European light switch. Um, and uh, I like the idea and the concept of use whatever decorative light switch you want or whatever you have in your home and add this thing behind here. And uh, and then you now have a smart light switch. Yeah, this Co- is a great idea. This is a great product. They're premiering it first in Europe, which is not surprising since they're based in Europe and they usually get their products out there first. The U.S. version is expected around the summer. They don't have a very good track record with delivering stuff on time, so I'm expecting it'll probably be more like the fall, but I'm excited to see this. And what is particularly interesting about this is that they're they're addressing head on the problem that they, that their product causes, right? That you have this smart light bulb that might be in a fixture that's controlled by a switch and how do you manage that switch effectively? Well, one way you could do it is that you could have the switch actually act as a controller for the smart light. So this is not only something that can just put dumb lights on your Hue system. It's also going to be able to trigger scenes for smart bulbs. 
I, mm. I this is such a clever product. I'm very excited to see them coming out with this. Even just a basic in-wall micro module from anyone, I think, is a good product. Insteon used to have these, but they they don't sell them anymore as they've kind of shrunk down their product line to focus on the things that are most popular. But I I can't wait to get my hands on one of these. Yeah, I think the the two. I do think it's promising, but I think the the two major drawbacks it, it runs on a battery which is supposed to last a minimum of five years. But the idea of if you put a lot of these in your house and then having to open up light switches to replace batteries sounds awful to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so especially if it's something like in line, I don't know why you can't just like vampire power or something. So there's it's, some room for improvement. Yeah. There. It's insane that there's a battery in something that is behind the switch. It's not even that it's like, right behind the panel. To get to this, you're going to have to remove the plate and remove the switch and pull all the wiring and the switch out to get to this. That's a hassle. I agree. Yeah, I'm not in love with that. Um, The other one, I think, is, you know, depending on what style switch you have, it doesn't, that switch may not be very, uh, you know, remote-controlled, virtual friendly. So you now might have, speaking of OCD, you might have, uh, you know, on switches off and things like that. So when you actually replace a full light switch, often those light switches are with the, this might be controlled elsewhere in mind kind of concept. But if you're just putting it on a regular old light switch, it may not be as friendly to that concept. And now all of a sudden you're going to have switches flipped all this way and the other way, and it's not going to make a lot of logical sense. That's true. And you might think that that would bother me, given, again, how OCD I can be about stuff like that. But I look at it as this kind of turning every switch that it's behind into a three-way switch. So that, you know, you can, there are two places you can control it now. You can control it virtually, or you can control it physically. And so that switch could either be up or down. And I'm thinking that there are enough homes that have enough switches that are three-way that folks shouldn't be too stressed out by this. Because the the beauty of being able to use whatever damn switch you like, if you are in a Victorian home, you can use the old push-button style switches with something like this. I mean, that's just phenomenal. I love that. Yeah, I really like the concept, and I think this is the first of many things to come in this kind of style. So I I think it's a great idea. So Hugh also announced a couple other products. Uh, Any other thoughts or or, uh, observations there? Yeah, so they have a new dimmer, and by dimmer, it's really a remote control. It's a an updated industrial design of the old remote, and I think that it's a little bit more capable, if I remember correctly. I'm not excited about this. I don't like their current remote control. I hate the design of it. I don't like that it's not a standard Decora size. I think this is also still not a standard Decora size. It's designed to fit on their custom plate that is a one-gang plate that does not work or play well with other switches in the wall. So, eh, okay, it's good, I guess. Also, it has giant Hue branding on it. 
Uh, message yeah. to all smart home companies. Stop it. I know you love your brand. <laughs> Nobody else wants to look at it in their house. Yeah. I mean, just no, stop. Yeah, exactly. If it's going to be on there, emboss it or something so that it's just not so crazy visible. That is that is nuts. I do hate that. They also announced an outdoor light bar. And I think this is probably the more interesting product. We talked in one episode all about outdoor lighting. And this was really right as they were announcing their first outdoor products almost two years ago now. This adds to that line. And this is a really interesting product because it's it's basically a wall washer. It's a, it's a bar that you would put in front of a wall or in front of a garden area to just have a ton of color light on whatever surface it's reflecting off of. It's not a spotlight. It, it, it is probably most meant for architectural lighting. It's expensive. It's yeah, $200. Yeah, yeah. $170. I, I, yikes. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's big. It's 31 inches long. Um, but yeah, that's pretty pricey. Now, talking with some pros about this, like they didn't bat an eye that this is actually relatively inexpensive compared to comparable color outdoor lighting installed by a pro. But is that the market for Philips Hue, really? I don't see how you get consumers to pay this kind of money for a product like that. I already balk at the price of the Lily products. I think they're overpriced. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, so also kind of outside news, uh, there were a couple interesting acquisitions that happened in this space. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, some even before the event started at the start of the year, we learned that Allegiant was buying, you know, me, you know, me is, uh, one of these services that ties all of your different products together to work together. They work with Schleg, with Schleg and, uh, a number of other ecosystems, not as broadly used or as uh, as broad support as something like IFTTT, but sorry, I I, it, I keep forgetting. I'm supposed to call it IFT now <laughs> because they call it IFT, but but it, it, it's a cool product. And I reached out to one of the founders and said, Hey, um, actually he he reached out to me. Now I think about it. And, um, I said, yeah, I heard the news. This is great. I hope you don't get, uh, you don't get stringified, right? Like it, I worry about when Comcast bought stringify, which was another service that did this very thing. They bought it for the back end, which I'm sure is what Allegiant cares about and gave up on the consumer side. They just, they just didn't care about it. So I hope that that doesn't happen to them. They they are saying that they are excited about what they're going to be doing in the future on the consumer side. So we'll see. Yeah, I also have some friends there. Um, we actually worked with them on uh, the Schlage project um, many years ago. So I don't know how much we've talked about this, but we actually build Schlage's gateway product mm-hmm. um, for their older lock. And so we did the hardware, you know, we did the cloud and Schlage obviously provided the lock. So they were, uh, Allegiant was an investor in, you know, me. So this one didn't surprise me, um, made a ton of sense. Schlage had, 
uh, you know, was using them quite a bit for their products. So um, makes sense for them to bring them. Yeah. The other interesting one that came up, um, you know, we knew that Weber had been working with June on some uh, collaborations and stuff, and uh, they decided to uh, officially tie the knot and they fully acquired June. I was a little bit stunned by this. Part of my stun reaction comes from the fact that I have a June oven on order that is probably going to be delivered next month. And yeah, I don't know what to make of this now. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be a good thing. Yeah, obviously, it's a much larger organization for June to be a part of. Gives them the more runway um, where they don't necessarily have to stand alone. Um, and, you know, Weber can integrate kind of their technology and their way of doing innovation into more products, kind of more breadth of what Weber does. If I had to guess, I would guess that's sort of what happened was, you know, as they continued working with June, they realized the potential for integrating their technology in more places. And it just made sense to to bite the bullet and, and pull them in. So, yeah, I, I hope it works out for, for both parties. But and for the I consumers. can understand your, your hesitancy now <laughs> yeah. to double down on June. Well, yeah, because honestly, I think that they have a, a really interesting product. This is a completely different segment for Weber. Weber isn't really in the kitchen at, at all. And so this would put them in a new market. And do they plan to continue to work in that market and continue to foster that? Or do they really just want the technology for their own products? And we're going to have to see how that plays out. The good news is that they have a history of kind of keeping old stuff alive with their acquisition of the iGrill technology from iDevices. When they purchased that IP from iDevices and took that over, they actually, other than the disastrous app that they built for it in one phase, they they actually had uh, done a really good job of stewardship of that brand. So I'm hoping that they kind of take the same approach with June. And the last one that came up was uh, Pentair uh, acquired Roshan. Yeah. Yeah, uh, whether they still pronounce it Roshan or Roshan, I really don't remember. But this was a product that caught my eye years ago. I am fascinated by this company that built a home water dispenser to sit on the countertop and compete with these dispenser solutions that require you to purchase all kinds of consumables in relatively unfriendly and environmentally unfriendly canisters and stuff like that. And so they created an ecosystem that allowed you to have uh, this, this either carbonated or flat water with flavors, and everything was done in a much more ecologically friendly way. They had some contracts where they were testing this out with some high-end hotels. It was meant to also be sold and work in a home for about three or four hundred dollars. The thing that made this product really cool is it could also be tapped into your line, so that this could this could operate without having to constantly be filling it with source water 
And uh, yeah, I, I was excited to hear this. This is a really good exit for them. And it sounds like the company intends to keep the brand going, which is good. Yeah, I think this is an interesting space and we're only going to see more going on in water uh, as we go forward. So I'm sure that's what they saw in them and why they brought them in. The other one that kind of came up a bit is obviously we've talked quite a bit about chip and um, that coming. Um, You know, there seems to be a lot of companies that are starting to prepare for compatibility and um, want to, you know, want to buy to own this experience. What did you see in this space? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I particularly noticed a whole bunch of products saying, oh, we're planning on being compatible with chip. I'm sure there were a lot of those questions on the virtual floor. But what I saw is that I, I think that companies are concerned that as things become more compatible, their products will become more commoditized. And that's a terrible position for a company to be in if they don't have the mind share and they're, you know, they're not already selling the volume that they and seeing the growth that they want. So what I saw is a lot of companies trying to basically say, okay, well, we're the ecosystem. We're the app that you can use and our stuff will just be compatible with all this other stuff. A good example is when you have products that are, um, you have an, an ecosystem out there that is focused in one area, and then they are really starting to expand it so that their app is capable of controlling a bunch of different stuff, potentially. And an example of that might be C by GE, where they just recently rebranded as Sync, C-Y-N-C. I don't know how that's going to be any less confusing, but remember, they're under the Savant umbrella now, so maybe part of their intent was to get not just get rid of their cumbersome name, but also get rid of the GE moniker and and have something that's kind of independent under Savant. Hopefully, we won't be making sync jokes in terms of uh, that they sunk as a brand. But. Oh, wow. I didn't even think of that. But yes, yes, hopefully we are not. They make good products. I think they're kind of all over the place. They've had different, they've had, they've evolved their products from what they initially were. Now they offer Wi Fi or they can be controlled uh, directly. And so they've expanded their product line by adding now a camera and fan controls and an outdoor module. And they have a new app that's going to be coming out with all of this stuff in March. So they're really trying to think of sync as your core home control. And then maybe in the future, it's going to be compatible with all this other stuff. We'll have to see how that plays out. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because I really like it when a company focuses on doing something really well. Yeah. I mean, I think to what you said about the the commoditization, um, I think you can either provide the cheapest thing that does it decently, or you need to uniquely solve a problem and provide a great experience. So you need to do it the best or have an interesting angle on it. Um, just doing the same as everybody else, then, then you're just competing on price. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how chip um, kind of angles things, because if it, if it kind of takes, if it becomes the dominant ecosystem, then 
those are kind of the two categories of things you're going to have are the people that are racing to the bottom and um, just want to provide the cheapest smart plug, the cheapest sensors, the cheapest stuff. Um, and those that are going to provide unique and interesting solutions who also, oh, by the way, they also support um, chip. Um, the one kind of chip related thing I noticed was um, Nanoleaf last year started to release some products that supported Thread. And their big announcement this year was that the, all future products will include Thread. So to me, mm. this feels like moving a piece in the direction of chip and kind of preparing their line for that chip future, being that Thread is one of the supported radio technologies. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I, I didn't catch that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I like that. I, that's a good move on their part. And even if it didn't become chip compatible or if chip doesn't evolve the way that we hope it will, that's still, <laughs> that's still a good foundational move for them to make that sort of compatibility and, and to use the, the thread fabric in all of their products. It'll, it will ultimately make things easier. Yeah. So uh, outside of that stuff, uh, you know, we didn't see anything new from Ring. Um, Which is I guess shocking. End to end encryption is coming soon. But... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. That's great. I, I'm. I was really shocked that there wasn't any real news there. Um, yeah. I feel like now that they're part of Amazon, they're part of that Amazon press cycle more so than this kind of normal press cycle. But we'll see. That's true. Uh, Lutron. Mm -hmm added an expensive uh, outdoor plug module. Yeah. Also seemed to have too heavy a branding to me, and uh, it, it only supports their bridge, so it's not even a Wi-Fi one. This is a really competitive space, um, so I don't know. I don't have any problem that it's, only their, uh, that it's only their protocol. I don't have any problem with that. I'm just unexcited by it, and it's even harder to get excited by it because of the pricing it's eighty dollars for an outdoor module a single plug outdoor module and it yeah. has a greater outdoor rating than nearly everything else on the market but seriously what are you doing with these things i mean they sit on the ground usually in mulch or they're hanging off of the house somewhere how rugged do they really need to be yeah, I just yeah, I don't, I don't get, it. get this at all. I am not even remotely excited about this, and I felt bad every time their PR person reached out to me because they're great people, and I love what this company does. But this was just a, a real uh, uh, I don't I don't get it. The last one I wanted to talk about <laughs> you you're you're a dog person. Yeah, we're dog people in the Justice household. Yeah. Um. Chamberlain announced a $3,000 automatic dog door. Yeah, now, let's be really clear about this. This is not like the thing that you buy for 200 bucks and there's something around your dog's neck and it senses it, it, it slides open. This is a people door with a frame that needs to be installed for you. And it has a built-in dog door that's disguised to look just like a recessed panel would be on any door. So the concept is great. It has lots of technology in it. it has a camera, sensor dog, all kinds of stuff like that. $3,000 for 
and it's from Chamberlain. Like, it's not from Pella or Anderson or some company that you might expect to buy a door from. It's from Chamberlain. I'm just going to say it. Don't buy this. Like, I have zero confidence that they will stick with this product in the long run. None. Yeah. Well, I I think it's a cool concept, and I hope more people do things like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love a way for my dog to automatically, um, you know, leave and um, come in. Uh, You know, right now we use a doorbell system for him to ring the doorbell when he wants to come back in so he doesn't scratch up the door. Um, Wait, really? You trained him to, like, press a button? Yeah. Oh. I'll send you an Amazon link. Yeah, that there's a so just a, cool. a cheap uh, doorbell focus for that, and you plug it in the wall. And you, they, we actually have a pad on both sides of the door, so he, he can ring it when he wants to go out and ring it. We used to do like bells for for going out, and he was trained on that. They were just like jingle bells, and he would hit <laughs> them when he wanted to go outside. Now we we upgraded to this, but which works well, but um. Yeah, three thousand dollars ludicrous to me, and um, I agree with you that it would make more sense from a a door or a window company. Um, but uh, yeah, and and who knows? Like, I I guess there's a price, so maybe it's more likely that this actually will get released. Like, or is this just a concept that's never going to make it? I, I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see what kind of feedback that they took away from the show because everything that I've read about it is just hung up on that price, and no wonder. I mean, it's it's. It is a premium price. And by the way, that's the entry price. Like they they make a couple different variations of it. Again, because I'm thinking they're not a door company, really. Do you want them being responsible for the design of your door? This is an exterior door. So they have a couple different options. And if you want one that is actual stained wood, I believe it's even more expensive. This is yep. Like a foam core door that's $3,000. No. Yeah, the ones I saw, there's a fiberglass door, panel only, three grand. Uh, fiberglass door pre hung, that's 3700 And an extra thick aluminum clad wood door pre hung, that one's 4500 Yeah. Yowza. Yep. Nope. 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 That's just, I, I mean, you can get a really nice door for that kind of money. Yeah. Really nice. So, I don't know. All right. Well, wrapping up, what did you think of CES 2021? I think if I had done what my colleague Josh did and took the week off and reserved the time to do CES right, I'd be really frustrated and disappointed right now. I don't think that it lived up to what we were all hoping. I I didn't have high expectations, but I, I just, I think this was d- disappointing on many levels. And I hope, you know, I, I've heard people say, oh, well, yeah, I think this is the way we're going to be doing conferences now after attending other virtual conferences. And you might argue that WWDC this past year was fantastic the way they did it. But does it make sense for something like this? I don't think it does. Like I said, I think the keynotes and and presentations and education and stuff like that, to the extent that you can offer that virtually, that makes a lot of sense, particularly in the age where you don't want to sit down next to somebody for a long I I, I think the, the whole show, though, I, I didn't like it. I just, 
I did not like the way they did it. I did not like the experience. Even if they had a good venue, I don't know that I would have been happy spending three of my days, four, if you include the media day, focused on doing all of this Virgie. It, I found it frustrating. I found it very impersonal. And while I have a hard time imagining spending time in a, in a big space with a ton of other people right now, I, I want to get back to that. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm with you. I, I hope people kind of, kind of what we talked about. I hope people kind of look at this as a fresh chance to figure out what should this be going forward. Um, you mentioned, uh, Apple's WWDC, which was really well done. Um, but there was also some major things missing from that too, which was the social stuff and the networking yep. and the things that are really valuable yep. in my mind. So I hope people can find a good hybrid model going forward, um, make things more accessible, push things online that can be scaled online, um, but really lean in on the, the personal stuff, the networking stuff, because that's what matters. And that's what we're all missing really badly right now. So um, I, I'll just say, I, I hope January 2022, uh, we can get back together and enjoy some Vegas and uh, do this a little bit different. I should start saving my miles now so that I can get on a plane that has the first class cubbies that I don't have to be right next to anybody. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I know I've been saving my points and stuff like that. So uh, those are going towards a big, you know, vacations is all totally. we'll see. Well, cool. All right. Well, we would normally have a question that we would answer from somebody, but we don't have a question this week. Folks can send us questions, but I deleted the thing in here where I indicate how people do that. Adam, do you remember how people can send us questions? Yes. You just uh, tweet using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow, and uh, we'll pick that up and include it in the show. Excellent. Adam, where can people find you if they're not listening to you here on this podcast? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything that my company is doing in the smart home space at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me at Richard Gunther and expect lots of political tweets over the next couple of weeks. Just just expect them. And <laughs> you can also catch what I'm up to with my other shows and any writing that I'm doing over at thedigital.com. You can listen to the Smart Home Show on any of your favorite podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you find your podcasts. And the Smart Home Show, of course, is part of Technology.fm, a collection of great tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and my other show, Home On. All of these shows, all of our shows, are up and available for you at smarthome.fm. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Leave a rating, a rating or a review. It doesn't necessarily help us in getting discovered, but it does make us feel really good. And then tell a friend about the show, because that does help us. That is going to be it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. 